as Wes just shared a really good word with us about the blessing of hearing the word of God. And for those who keep it, let's share the word of God and do that well. Okay, if you're watching at home online, share the teaching today. You guys can share um, on your different media platforms because there's a lot of talking heads today out there. A lot of things being said. People need to hear the truth because what does the truth do? It sets people free and people need to be free. You guys know that? So this morning, let's open our Bibles to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. We took a little break with the holidays, but we are back to our verse-by-verse study through this great epistle that Paul wrote to this church in which he very much loved, that he planted. Um, And we start off today in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 7, where it says, Therefore, and what do we do when we read a therefore in the Bible? We ask the question, what is it there for? Well, there's a whole lot that he's laid down thus far through the study of this letter. Uh, But I want you guys just to go back with me to chapter 6, which Ozzy taught through that. That is online if you want to go back and have a listen to that uh, study. But we're told in verse 2 of chapter 6, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And aren't you guys glad that we live now in this dispensation of grace that anyone who bows the knee and confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart, they're going to be saved right now. That is how God is working throughout the entire world. And he says just before that, in the acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And Paul makes this connection from this prophecy that Isaiah had given in the Old Testament. Hey, this is the time. This is about Jesus. And I love when Paul quotes the Old Testament because he brings it back around to the truth of who Jesus is because the volume of the book is about who? him, right? So jump down right before chapter 7. Let's look at a few of these Old Testament prophecies that were given speaking about Jesus that Paul was really just pulling out of his memory. Have you guys hidden the word of God in your heart in such a way that, hey, I can be quoting the Old Testament and tying in truth to share with somebody? That's what he did. He didn't have Google to jump online like, oh, where's that reference at? Like he had hidden the word of God in his heart. So look with me. It says here, I will dwell in them, okay, Uh, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's Ezekiel, right? Chapter 37. And then he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, And do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now he's to the prophet Isaiah 52. And then Jeremiah 31 here says, I will be a father to you. Isn't that so cool? And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these precious promises, he says, we've been given these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves Because this is who God is and this is what he has done for us. Let's cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I want you to catch that here. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is what we're to do. 
Because God has given us, you remember chapter 5? This reconciliation with himself. And we've been given to that ministry as believers. But in order to be reconciled, there needs to be a repentance. A turning. God wants to reconcile mankind back to himself. Us fallen sinners to himself. But we have to turn to him. He just doesn't come and force himself upon us. There's a coming together. A gift is given, but we have to receive that gift by faith. And that's why repentance is such a beautiful thing. So a little more context before we jump into the whole of chapter 7 here, because it'll make sense if we jump back to chapter 2 for a moment. So turn to chapter 2. We look back, and Paul here picks up for you and I again a discussion that he's having. And we'll look at verses 12 and 13 to make some sense of this. He says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel. Do you guys know there's a lot of false gospels being preached today? Do you guys know people have actually written off the Pauline epistles, the gospel according to Paul, the gospel according to grace, altogether? That's actually being taught in churches today. It's being taught at a church right across the canal here that is very liberal and embraces anything. And how have they done that? They've excused the word of God. We don't believe anything Paul says. And that's a scary thing. When you start dismissing God's word and saying, hey, that's not the Lord, you're not in a good place. (laughs) But there is a very clear gospel that is presented in the scriptures, and that's the one we need to hold to. That's what Paul preached. And he says here, And a door was opened to me by the Lord, and I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. So Paul had no rest here. Okay, He is overwhelmed. He knows that there's a situation going down in Corinth that is developed. Now he departs for Macedonia to meet Titus to get... The news. And I want you guys to remember there were some problems going on in the Corinthian church. Last year we studied through 1 Corinthians, a very spiritual church. The gifts of the Spirit were moving in the church, charismatic, but totally carnal. Okay? We as Christians can get in the flesh. We can be spiritual one moment and totally fleshy the next. You guys know what I'm talking about? So here he's addressing some of the things going on. And we know that Paul had a very quick visit to Corinth. And then things only got worse because of that visit. And after they had dispatched Titus with a very stern letter for them, Paul couldn't rest until he heard back. He wanted to know, how are they doing? What is going on? What are they thinking? So he met up with Titus in Macedonia, and he was very joyful to hear the news, the report, okay, um, and the trouble that was there, the relationships that had been healed, and all was well. And then he starts in chapter 7, cleanliness is next to godliness. Do you guys know where that scripture is in the Bible? It's not a scripture. That's a verse we all know. But it's actually not in the Bible. But every time I hear that scripture, I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Isn't that what we want to do? Be holy as I am holy, God says. What drives us to sanctification? 
What will give us the wisdom to do such? It begins with the fear of the Lord. And it's not being scared of God, but knowing that he is right, knowing what he has done, that he is good, that he is our Heavenly Father. I don't want to disobey you, Dad, because I know you know best. I know you care about me. I know that you're rich in mercy and full of compassion. And in your kindness, you've spoken these truths to me. In whom you love, you will spank, right? We'll get to that in a little bit. But we should ask God to cleanse us. Like King David asked, Psalm 51, verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We should be asking God for that. And also in verse 7, then it says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. But we also should be cleansing ourselves. You guys see what Paul says here in verse 1? We should put away things that defile. Not only expect God to do this, but we have a part, right? We are called to repent. We are called to live righteously, holy, uprightly before the Lord. You can jot down Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away evil of your doings from before my eyes and cease to do evil. There's four commands just in that one verse. And then in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we see it taught in Scripture, we have responsibility. And for us to think as believers, oh, God will just do it in his timing. If you're not being sanctified, if you're not growing in Christ, if you're not being more like Jesus, and that's what he wants. None of us are going to fully arrive in this life. But if you can look back six months and you're the same as what you were six months ago, if you haven't grown in Christ, if you haven't become a little more like him, you're backslidden. You're not doing the word of God. We should always be growing And I don't know about you, but if the Lord tarries, I want to be growing in my faith. I want to finish well. I want to be a sweet old saint, okay? Not an old grumpy one, right? I want to love more, to be more like Christ. Why? Because that's what his spirit is working in my heart. That's the desire of my heart, is more of him. So we need to be praying, but also doing. So who does the cleaning then? Who really... Well, according to Scripture, both. God and us. It's a, work, it's a relationship. It's working together. So if alcohol's an issue, maybe empty all the bottles out that are in your house. Just get rid of it. Get the drugs out of the hiding place. Maybe it's some prescriptions you had from a doctor that you don't need anymore. Get rid of them. Maybe it's pornography. You got a favorites list. No, you need to get rid of that. You need to block it. Maybe it's cleaning the files of your mind. Asking God, hey, my head keeps going here. It's like a videotape that reruns, replays itself over and over and over again. And how to pay back those who hurt you. How you can get him or her back. So what do you need to take a scrub brush to in your life? Because we can just read this verse and just gloss over it. Okay, God's telling us to cleanse ourselves from 
the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. That's great. Let's move on. No, we need to pause and be doers of God's word. Because some of us choose to take the trash out regularly, at least once a week. But some, yeah, once a month's okay. I'll let it build up. It doesn't matter if it stinks a little bit. You sleep with clean hands, either kept clean all day by integrity or washed clean at night by repentance. And repentance, again, and you've heard me say this over and over again over the years, I believe is the sweetest word in all of the Bible. Because Acts chapter 3, verse 19 tells us, Repent, therefore, that refreshing may come from the Lord in his presence. A lot of you guys feel far from God. Where is God? I would say repent. Because the Bible says when we repent, his presence is there. And in his presence is fullness of joy. Right? Nothing better. And before we move on to verse 2, did you, say, did you guys catch that it's the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit? Well, what is he talking about? Do you guys know that we can have filthy spirits? Pharisaical, legalistic, critical spirits. Not willing to forgive. We just keep on judging. God says, be done with that. Be over with that. And Jesus had a hard time with the religion of the day. And I think if he came again today, he'd still have a hard time with the religion that he finds within his people. He's given us a new way to live, guys. And that is to love. It is to forgive. So, let's look at verse 2. Open your hearts to us, he says. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before to you, or that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness in speech towards you, and great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort, and I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told of us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for us, so that I rejoiced even more. You guys ever see on the news where there is a fire uh, break made and the fire will jump right over it? Or a road even? It's just crazy here. Fire comes rolling in. It's just like, all right. At least there's a road to stop it, and it jumps completely over. That's what Paul's going to do for you and I right here. He's making a huge jump here. Uh, he goes from 
his relationship with God to his relationship with the, with the people here in Corinth. So when your fire for God starts to smolder, you don't increase activity to generate warmth. Instead, you rekindle the fire. That is what's needed, and that's what Paul is doing with the Corinthian believers. R.A. Torrey said, It takes time to be holy. One cannot be holy in a hurry, and much of the time that it takes to be holy must go into secret prayer. I like it. Are we in our prayer closets? Are we meeting with the Lord intimately? Are we actually praying into these things, looking to him, asking of him? In a fireplace, how many of you guys have a wood fireplace? They're pretty cool, right? They start up, but where does the heat go first? Up the stack, right? It gets warm up there first before it'll start radiating heat outward everywhere else. And so for us guys, our heat must rise vertically, okay, before we can radiate horizontally. Is your relationship with God right? Because if it's not, there isn't going to be warmth going forward. So if you're being frustrated, angry, if you're having a hard time with somebody, I would say your relationship with Christ is not right. And we try so hard to get this right. I want the vertical, or I mean the horizontal, to be all working out, to be good with everybody. Well, it ain't going to happen. You need the vertical first. So in verse 2, guys, he didn't wrong them, corrupt them, or cheat them. You guys see that there? So when we do these things, then people who come around us for warmth, they're going to get burnt. And I like verse 4 because it says, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. <laughs> How, Paul? <laughs> Why? <laughs> really? In all your tribulation, in all your troubles, you're joyful. For serious. Pain, tribulation, is actually our friend, guys. It was designed by God to warn us when something's wrong. Ever break a bone? It hurts. Okay? I've broken bones in both my hands. It hurts a lot. God's allowed that. Okay? Got my hand on the stove. I'm going to burn. It hurts. Yeah! He's given us things to tell us hey, things aren't good. Things aren't right. This hurts. So it's designed by God to really instruct us. You guys have heard me use the term before, Holy Spirit spanks. Our Heavenly Father, whom loves us, chapter 12 of Hebrews, whom he loves, he will chasten. And if you aren't being spanked by the Lord chasten, you're not his kid. If you can just get away with whatever, you're never corrected, you're probably not his kid. You need to get saved. So... The best instruction in our lives, guys, uh, from the good times or when we remember the hard times, when, when do we learn the most? It's normally through the hard times, right? Which has proved to be a better teacher for you and I. Which stories do you use to teach your children different lessons about life? Well, when I was a kid, I walked to school. 20 miles, in fact. 
in the snow, in fact, uphill, in fact, both ways. Don't we use those type of stories? <laughs> the hard things in life teach us much. So it was also designed by God to mature us. Do you desire to grow, to mature in Christ? Because that is his desire for you. If you're in the same place you were are as a Christian as you were six months ago, a year ago, a decade ago, you're not doing what God wants. We are to be maturing and growing. That's what he desires of all of us. So hard things do what? They drive us back to God. And it's when we're with God, we're growing, right? So it is only at the cross where the vertical and the horizontal relationships intersect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, God sends rain on our lives. It says he makes the sunrise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So the rain will come. And for some of you, it's just a mist, or it might come periodically. And on others, it's El Nino. It's always raining. So when it rains, we got two choices, don't we? Stand there, get soaked, and complain about it, or you can sing in the rain. Choice is ours. What are we going to do? You see, Paul dealt with troubles in every direction. Outside conflicts were going on, but there are also those inner phobias. Okay, look at verse 5. There were things going on with Paul that he was really struggling with. And this was a great man of God, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote 14 books of the New Testament. Godly dude, right? He went through it. Even dark depression. Look at verse 6. Okay? Deep depression. So depression and comfort, they work together. And some of you guys who struggle with depression know what I'm talking about. You can be having the worst of all days in a really good day at the same time because God's bringing his comfort, his peace, and his grace, even though you feel horrible. Wow, God is there. I can have joy and still be down. And that's why rejoicing in the Lord is a command that's why we're told to enjoy Christ. Because in this life, you will have tribulations, but for the Christian, we still can have joy even when things are hard and painful because we have a good God who is there for us. Look at verse 6. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So this downcast depression, all of us get depressed at some time. Sometimes it's heavy, sometimes it's light. Sometimes it lingers, sometimes it passes quickly. As a Christian, do you just deny depression exists? It's not even a real thing. Guys, we need to remember, just as every day isn't sunny outside, so our lives will have days of clouds and showers. So did you become a Christian, hoping, thinking all your problems would just go away? That's one of the false gospels being preached out there today. You guys can turn TBN on any Christian network. Prosperity, gospel, health, and wealth crap. 
unbiblical, it is a false gospel, and it's damning people to hell. Jesus is our Savior. Eternal life is the gift. You will go through tribulation in this life. In fact, God's word, God himself tells us, you must go through much tribulation to enter the kingdom of God. So do we believe God or these false gospels that are being preached? Because when life gets hard, what do these false teachers say? Well, the reason your life is hard and you're depressed and you're going through these troubles and your life is a wreck, it's because you don't have enough faith. Oh boy, that's really unbiblical once again. Because you who choose to live godly, which you're only going to do that if you have faith, there is a promise in the scripture in Timothy that you will suffer persecution. What? Again, is God right? Or these false teachers? And the sad part is these false teachers, they're filling up mega churches. Anyways, you guys get my point. There's a frustration there. And that's why God tells us to teach the word of God. If they actually open the word, maybe if they just taught Say 2 Corinthians chapter 7 to their people. You can't twist it. Is God being pretty straightforward with us here? Absolutely. Okay? So we need to take heed. And there are actually churches nearby that teach, hey, if you're depressed, it's because you're in sin. And we do reap consequences to our sin. Don't get me wrong. But we live in a fallen world. Okay? We're all going to go through it. The Apostle Paul went through it. King David went through it. Elijah the prophet went through it. Just read the Bible for two seconds. Godly men and women go through it in this life. So, do we think that being a Christian is going to solve everything? Actually, it becomes more complicated when you come to Christ, doesn't it? Because you have two natures now. You're not just doing whatever you want, being the king of your own life. Okay? You're now born again of the Spirit, and you're going to have this struggle now between your natural man, the flesh, and the spirit. Things get harder when you come to Christ. So, do you think that problems are a sign of unspirituality? Again, we reap consequences, but sometimes problems may be signs of spiritual activity. If you're going through it, it might be warfare. Satan may not like what you're doing, and he's going to come at you with everything you have. That's a reality. I read a lot of Charles Spurgeon, which I may quote him this morning because he had some good stuff to say. He's a man who struggled deeply with depression. There were Sundays he couldn't get up to preach. It was so debilitating. But he was a man who mightily preached the word. He oversaw 14 ministries. He's a man who wrote books on happiness. And yet he lived a life of torment with depression. And you wonder why. Was Charles Spurgeon a man God used? Was the Apostle Paul a man God used? You're going to go through it. Do you think that being exposed to sound biblical teaching automatically solves all your problems? No. It's no more than immersing yourself in water makes you a fish. <laughs> you must be a doer of it. Do you guys understand that? What does the word of God tell us? So, Paul says, I am exceedingly joyful in all my tribulations. Brothers and sisters, I want all of us to be able to say that. That we're not tossed to and fro in this life. Whether it's the fiery darts or just the reality of living in a fallen world. 
but we're able to stand in truth, knowing that God is going to work it all out for the good to those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. You see, Paul's joyful heart didn't come from a lack of problems, but in the midst of them. Do you guys see what he's saying here? I'm not making this up. He's sharing this with us. He's communicating these truths to us for a reason. And we know that God is the God of all comfort. He says in the first part of verse 6, Nevertheless, God. Aren't you guys glad that God is there when we're going through it? Some of the hardest things you're ever going to face in life, God is right there. And the second you repent, you turn, he brings his comfort and peace. It is the hardest thing to explain, but he gives a peace that surpasses all understanding. I should be a complete mess right now. I shouldn't be able to function. I shouldn't be able to do anything. But God is there. He's going to give me the strength to endure. I am weak. And he'll allow by his spirit to give all that is needed for what he's asking me to do. So God brings comfort. A lot of times we pray for comfort, don't we? I just want life to be comfortable. We've had people over the years leave the church because they weren't comfortable here. Pastor, you're too real. We open the word of God here at Freedom. God's too real. Do you guys know that Jesus is reality? But in our Western mindset, we think as long as I'm comfortable and everything's going well and there's no problems, then I'll really be okay. Where does that type of thinking come from? We as Christians, we should not be praying for the comfortable, but God, make me stronger. Make me stronger. Because in this world, we're going to go through it. What do we need? We need to mature. We need to grow. We need to be strong in the Lord. And also, I love the last part of verse 6. Titus brought comfort. Isn't that cool? Check out these few verses with me. You know that we can comfort one another? The Bible says we can do that by bearing one another's burdens. That was our whole retreat this fall. Galatians 6, 2. We can actually bear one another's burdens. We also can encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 and 24 is really good too, right? Provoking each other, stirring each other up onto good works, and not forsaking the assembling together, which is the manner of some, because of the deceitfulness of sin. Do you guys know that God has given the church fellowship as a gift, as a blessing? Because there are those who say, hey, I don't need the church. And they've been so deceived. Okay? It's one of those things when we're in relationship, real relationship, we can be real with one another. We can speak into each other's lives. And some of the stuff we have to say to one another isn't always what we want to hear, but we love each other enough to speak the truth. So we can do that for each other. First Peter 4.10 says we can be ministering, serving one another so we can bring comfort and aren't you guys blessed when that happens i love the gospels you guys know when jesus sent out the disciples he sent them out all by themselves go do it on your own and figure it out good luck is that what he said he sent them out by what two by twos right solomon said two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor there is a blessing in doing life together to be in fellowship working together Loneliness, lonely Christians are often defeated Christians. When Elijah thought that he was the only one faithful to God, 
That's when he began to backslide. Check it out. When Jonah ministered alone, he developed a bitter spirit. But there is a comfort from the Lord. There's a comfort within the church. And we see here in verse 7, guys, there's this Corinthian comfort. It was a great comfort to see Titus again. But it was also comforting to hear that they had an earnest desire to see Paul again. Did you catch that? They were mourning over their sin, and they had a zeal that had been a rekindled love towards Paul. I think that is cool. Is there a relationship that has gone bad? Can God reconcile? Can he rekindle that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, guys, comforting to hear the good news of Paul's letter. Okay, It was a letter of rebuke, but it brought positive results. Okay, check out verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, it produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication in all things. You proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. So he tells us in verse 8, I made you sorry. Often rebuke causes pain for a moment, but its ultimate object is not the pain, but it's to bring peaceable fruit of righteousness, guys. You guys can jot down Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now the chastening of the Lord, okay, the chastening seems to be joyful, or no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when you have to rebuke, guys, check your heart to make sure it's not to knock them down, but to actually lift them up. Not to discourage, but to encourage them. Not to simply eradicate the evil, but to actually make good grow. So listen to God's reproof. Listen. It might be through your kids. You ever have one of your children speak something into your life? You're like, dang, little prophet. <laughs> right? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a mom or dad. Maybe it's a coach you had. Maybe it's one of your teachers. Maybe a counselor even be from your own failures. 
could be from your daily devotions, opening the scriptures. could be from sickness, a lot of that going around right now. From losses, from disaster, from disappointments. Guys, reproofs come in all shapes and sizes. Can you relate? I sure can. Can you guys relate to this Dennis the Menace comic strip where Dennis is kneeling by his bed saying his prayers and he says, I'm sorry, but I've got a whole bunch of I'm sorry's for you tonight. There's a difference between godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. And it's a difference between repentance and regret. Did you guys catch what Paul is laying down here for you and I? And this is something we need to get as Christians. Repentance is from God. Regret, it's from the world. Repentance is sorrow that draws people closer to God, right? But regret brings them in the way of Satan. Repentance brings a person to a place of confessing and forsaking sin, where regret only brings them closer to the enemy. Repentance leads to salvation, but regret leads to spiritual death. You guys know that Peter showed repentance? Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. He showed repentance and he was forgiven. Matthew chapter 26, verse 75. And then in Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5, Judas showed regret. And it tells us this. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful, but brought back 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went, and he did what? Hung himself, guys. He showed regret, and he took his own life. Do you guys see the difference between repentance and regret? So, the sorrow of the world is resentment that had been found out. That's regret. We ask our kids, are you sorry for doing that? Or are you sorry you got caught? Of course, they're not going to confess to the latter, right? <laughs> but it's analyzing, right? It's a chance to see what's really going on, to bring light into the situation, okay? And you got a chance, okay, to escape the consequences. Would you do it again? You have a chance, and repentance will really turn. Charles Spurgeon said... Let those who play at repentance remember that they who repent in mimicry shall go to hell in reality. I like Charles Spurgeon for a reason. The gospel message is what? Repent and believe. There has to be a turning to God. It's forsaking your sin. And it's turning, repenting, turning, following, saying yes to Jesus. Some humble themselves for a time, but they never repent before their God.
Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, regret involves the mind primarily and remorse involves the emotions, but repentance includes a change of mind, a hatred for sin, and a willingness to make things right. If the will is not touched, conviction has not gone deep enough. I summarize it like this. Remember remorse and regret restrict resolve. Repentance and restitution reap radical returns. Can I say that once more? Remorse and regret restrict resolve. Repentance and restitution reap radical return. So I have the joy, 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 deep in my heart. I love how he ends this chapter. Let's take a look at verse 13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. We have rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that you have confidence in or I have confidence in you in everything. So he says in verse 13, we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you. You've experienced the joy of seeing someone you love being welcomed, being cared for, treated well. Your kids starting a new school, being welcomed. Your kids getting into an accident and someone was there to help. Meals that was brought to your home when your spouse just had a surgery or a baby or something. Or maybe a gift of money randomly given to you when things were tight. Also, the father is blessed when his kids are taken care of. And as much as you did this to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You guys know that blesses the heart of God. He says in verse 13, I rejoice. Do you guys know that throughout the Bible, God's servants and still today rejoice when God's people are obedient and are burdened when God's people disobey? Moses often felt like giving up because of the rebellious people. Jeremiah wept bitterly because of the hardness of Israel. Jesus himself wept because the Jews didn't know the day of their visitation. Many a pastor sleepless nights because of the burden and the love that God has for his church. We're told by the writer of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7, remember those who rule spiritually speaking over you. In verse 17, obey those who rule over you. Verse 24, greet those who rule over you. 
servants of the Most High. They care. They serve. They are burdened. Make it easy on them. Be doers of God's word. Our prayer yesterday morning, a part of it was being a church that is growing up, that is maturing. You guys know that's what God wants for us? He wants us to be grown up, set apart. Because I do believe he's coming back soon. And are we going to be a bride ready for him? I sure hope so. I heard someone bought a wedding dress recently, wanting to be prepared to be ready. We are the bride of Christ. Are we prepared? Are we going to be ready when he comes and he calls us? I want to conclude, guys, with one last question. How do you best express joy? You personally. We all do it a little differently, but how do you express joy? Some through music, some through singing. <clears throat> some of us can't sing that well. Some like to joke around and laugh a bunch. Some express joy in prayer. Some through meditation. But whatever your method is, guys, express it to the Father this week. Express it to him today. We are people who have a living hope. We've given, given much, and that's why we're commanded to rejoice. And I would love it if all of us were marked by that joy, even in the hard things in life. You know what? I'm still going to have joy in our God because he is good. He loves me, and he's coming back real soon. So, Father, thanks for your word. God, it's so good to be back in 2 Corinthians here. Just thank you for how practical your word is for us as believers, as your kids. I do pray you give us some insight and wisdom in how to be loving and serving each other, God, and rejoicing in you, really enjoying you, Father, all the days of our lives. I know many of us are facing stuff, God, trials, tribulations, Show us how to count it joy. Teach us how to walk in the fear of you rightly, not to be scared. Lord, I know my fear is to be outside of your will because I know you know best. We know that your ways are best, that you are right. God, thank you for your word. Help us to be doers of it. I do pray that you bless our fellowship now as we get to partake in breaking bread together. God, may we just stir each other up good. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.